It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Nuclear fission plus nuclear fusion equals kaboom. In a nutshell, that simple formula is the key to World War II. And in a strange way, that simple World War II formula parallels the kingdom formula needed for the church today to bring the spiritual powers of darkness back into subjection. Hey, this is Eric. Before we venture into today's Daily Thunder message and discuss the science of spiritual war, I wanted to mention that we have added two additional week-long intensive trainings into our Ellerslie calendar in the late summer and late fall timeframes. For those of you that are unable to sneak away for our five-week training, these powerhouse one-weekers have been designed with you in mind. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to learn more. Now let's enter a secret meeting in Washington, D.C. on June 20th of 1942. President Roosevelt and Prime Minister Churchill are about to enter into a high-stakes agreement to direct precious man-hours and much-needed war resources into getting the kaboom before the Germans do. For those of you that are unfamiliar with the terrain uh, that I've personally been going through in Daily Thunder, it's been through uh, what's called spiritual lessons from World War II. And I recognize that at first that sounds a little odd that Eric's focused on World War II. And technically I'm not focused on World War II, I'm focused on how World War II showcases and trains us. And basically it's, a, it's almost like a primer in how history itself is a lesson. God is going to use history throughout the word of God to give us a lesson. It's, it's weird that the histories as revealed by the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament are going to train us in righteousness and in our doctrine. I mean, how does that work? How does history teach us? Well, that's part of what this whole series is doing is it's showing that there are behavior patterns and cycles to behavior, to human behavior. This is how humans work. And so when you study history, you can learn a lot or you could study history and not learn a thing. You could just learn some dates for school and pass a test, or you could learn and be changed by it. And I have a fascination with history, as I know many of you do. And, but strangely, I have a fascination with war history. <laughs> and it just sounds bad to say that I'm fascinated in war. I'm not, I hate war. I have no interest in war. But because of the battle that I have found myself in as a Christian leader, when I study war, I understand something. It's like it gives me language to recognize the invisible battle that I am in. It like puts it in front of me in a physical sense. I'm like, I understand what is going on here. And so for me, this has been invigorating. So even though for some of you on the outside, you might give me a jaundiced eye and go, why is he so focused on war? I actually really am fascinated with war too. I used to teach civil war. I've spent a lot of time in World War I and now World War II. And it's very intriguing to my mind. It's like my mind just chews on it, but not because I'm a violent person who wants to pick up a machine gun and shoot someone. I am the exact opposite of that. I, if it was wartime, I would probably be the chaplain. <laughs> I would not be the aggressor who wants to take someone down, and I don't have a lot of pent-up anger and angst that I want to take it out on some enemy foe. I actually want us to say, hey, guys, if you're going to go out there, I want you to remember that those are men that God died for. In other words, that's my, that's my passion. It's not to fight, it's to see salvation brought to the people of this earth. I recognize our battle is not against flesh and blood, it's against a spiritual opponent. And so this is significant for me and 
this particular message very, very unique, and it fits with some of the themes that I'm starting to bring out in last week. And the timing of it, when I, when I, when I say the Manhattan Project, okay, some of you would know exactly what that is, and it's not necessarily the most positive thing in history. This is the advent. It's actually going to be at the end of, uh, in December of 1942, President Roosevelt here in the United States is going to develop a project uh, to build uh, nuclear technologies to hopefully end the war. Okay, so you could, is that, I don't know if that's a big enough hint, and it's called the Manhattan Project, top secret stuff. And uh, so I'm in 1942 right now. World War II is going to start in 1939. And I've been doing this, what, what session are we in? 42. Okay, so I've been going through uh, this at a very slow pace because we need to get to 1945 before we start finishing this thing up. And I don't want to give any uh, you know, uh, spoilers away of how this is going to finish. We don't know. Are the Japanese going to control the Pacific? Is Germany actually going to maintain its control over all of Europe and win the day? We don't know. Stay tuned to find out. And so, yes, most of us know that this is going to turn out a certain way, but I, I still, I like to, you know, as an author, I, I don't like it when people just open up the final chapter and read it. It's like, no, no, I'm building towards that. Guess who does that? Harper, my daughter, does that. I, did she get it from you, Tabe? Is that what it is? Uh, and so, I mean, she's like, oh, I just want to know how it's going to end. No, 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 no. Uh, that's part of the enjoyment in life is the discovery, okay? So that's, that's just my, maybe it's an opinion, but I do feel like it's a good one. Uh, <clears throat> the Manhattan Project. Technically, I'm not even going to talk about the Manhattan Project, but I feel like this, that's a good name for it. We need a Manhattan Project. Top secret stuff. In the church, we begin to gather together to build weaponry technically for us as Christians, to use weaponry, to found this weaponry that will take down our great opponents. And our opponents are not of the earthly sense, they're of a spiritual sense. And so in a sense, the Manhattan Project is sort of like an underground church type of hint. It's, it's like a nod towards that sort of motion to say it really doesn't matter what even the nations of the earth, even the civil government were to say. We have a job to do. And we have an enemy that is holding hostage the people of this earth. And we have advanced technologies, scientific understanding that can actually work if invested in, if labored towards, if we were to put in the effort. It's going to cost us, guys. But if we were, we could stop this war. We could bring it to a close. That sort of mentality. Okay, that's Manhattan Project type of thinking. So I'm hinting. I'm giving away all sorts of things, but holding back what I mean by that. So the science of spiritual war. So this is sort of a science message. But, you know, and I did. I, I was a, uh, a science major in, in college. So I have all sorts of hidden things. I was like studied constitutional law as a science major. But I really should not. I'm not the expert on government or constitutional law. I'm just, I know enough to make me dangerous, right? The same with science, okay? I actually didn't enjoy it. I was doing it so I could get into med school, not because I actually enjoyed chemistry and biology. I just put up with it. That was, that's probably the best way of saying it. So technically, even though I know a little, I, when you get into nuclear fusion, I know nothing. So what I'm about to talk about, I actually don't know anything. Uh, so the science of spiritual war. I'm going to talk about something that I'm going to liken it to science because I even used, I was talking with a man last night and I used this phrase and I said, the science of 
prayer and the science of preaching is something that I've been spending a lot of time thinking about. And so it made it into my message this morning. When we started Daily Thunder, and this is, this is sort of a retrospect on what leads to this, we were talking, I don't know if it was Nathan and I, I don't remember how, what the discussion was, who was in it, but we were referencing the God Smuggler, uh, the book uh, by uh, Brother Andrew, and there's that scene where he is in, he's at that Bible school, but they don't have room for him in the Bible school, so he's stuck with this businessman who's more than a businessman. This guy is like the ultimate missionary, the ultimate gospel tier, and he goes to this like mission or uh, some kind of halfway house. I don't exactly remember what it was in the book, but in, he would preach and he would minister to the, the men, but oftentimes there'd be no one in the seats. And he would get up there and he'd give this rousing sermon uh, and he would just preach his heart out. And Brother Andrew would sort of look like, what are you doing? There is no one in the seats. And this man, you know, sort of uh, comes to the side and puts his hand on the shoulder of Brother Andrew. At least this is my mental picture of it. He's sort of like, Sonny, you don't understand. You see, God, I'm doing this for God. And when you preach the word of God, it does have effect. Even if you think no one is hearing it does have effect. So this guy last night that I was sharing this with, he said, did you ever hear the story from Carter Conlon when he was in, I don't know, it was someplace in New York, I'm guessing, and he was in this park and it was this massive rainstorm and so no one showed up for this event. So they still led worship and no one was there. Not one person was there. And then he felt led by God to preach anyway. So he preaches this rousing sermon. No one's there the whole time. (laughs) And then he feels led to give an altar call. And he feels a little awkward doing it, but you know, he's gonna obey God. So he gives this altar call and there's this, guy that was, you know, drunk and behind a bush off to the side, (laughs) rises up and comes to the front and gives his life. And there was two young boys. I don't remember what they were doing or but he couldn't see them. And they came out of the woodwork and he said, I gave an altar call uh, for a crowd of zero people and three people were saved. (laughs) That's the principle. That's the science of preaching. And I'm trying to land it. It's an invisible power. Preaching the word of God, it's called declaration or proclamation of truth, matters even if no one hears. When I'm in my prayer time, one of the key things I'll do is proclaim truth. And you could say, you're wasting your time, Eric. No one hears you. Are you sure about that? Do you actually think that no one can hear me even though there's not a human in the room? You see, first of all, you could say, well, Eric, maybe it's for you. It's your own comfort. Granted, that's true. It is very, very important for the cultivation of my own faith and the reminder of my, to my own soul of what I believe. Yes. But there is impact through the preaching, through the proclamation, through the declaration of the truth of Jesus Christ. Try and put a measurement to it scientifically, and it's hard. That's why I'm saying the science of spiritual things is hard to measure but that doesn't mean it isn't real. There is a science to it. How it works, it's hard to put in a test tube and measure. That's why it's faith. We go into a laboratory of faith and God says, if you add this and this together, it will change the world. And we're like, but God, I can't see this and I can't see this. So how could it change the world? He goes, you have to trust me. And so we put a little of this and a little of this together and boom, the world begins to change and God says, see? The world and the external demonstrations of God's power are a result of things that can't be seen. Coming together and creating a supercharge. 
So that's what's interesting about this study. Here I am in World War II, and for those of you that understand the terrain of World War II and what's going to ultimately happen through the Manhattan Project, that actually holds a lot of weight for us. Now, our desire isn't to destroy Nagasaki, for instance. Our desire is to destroy spiritual powers and strongholds. We have the weaponry, guys. We have the spiritual technology to do this. The question is, are we willing to put in the investment of time? Because it's going to cost us dearly, just like it did the United States and Great Britain to pull this off. So preaching in an empty building, that's how Daily Thunder started. We literally, when we started Daily Thunder, Nathan and I would be in here and no one would be in here at times. I remember I was doing the Sunday morning Daily Thunder at 7.15 a.m. Uh, remember that, Nathan? Uh, and you'd be the one person in the back. And if Nathan ever wandered to the bathroom or anything, it's like I am, I, we had all the chairs set up too. And I would be giving great eye contact uh, with the chairs <laughs> because I knew we had an audience even if it was an unseen audience. That's what's weird about a podcast and stream. It is an unseen audience. This is very real to us. At Ellerslie, we believe that the things we are doing, even if the earth does not applaud, even if there isn't a large audience, it is impacting the world. The second one, praying alone in a dark closet. What could that possibly do? Okay, many of us think of impact, okay? We, if we're, many of us are trained as Americans to think about marketing, okay? And I'm not against the idea of marketing. For instance, when we're fishing for men, what are we doing? We're sticking a little, well, when we're fishing, I should start that way, and then I should get it to men. I was going to say, we stick a worm in the, uh, in the lake. But we're giving something that they need, right? The fish are attracted to, so we're going to put it in. And so that we fish for men. In other words, I'm going to give what a soul needs and craves. You need a solution for your problem, don't you? I'm going to give it to you. Now, I give them something they're not expecting. I give them the gospel of Jesus Christ instead of giving them a pat on the back. Uh, instead of just giving them what they are craving in the natural sense, I'm going to give them what they actually need in the spiritual sense. But there's a form of marketing. It's a terrible word. Marketing it doesn't sound right to the Christian ear, but it still is in existence. It's we are representatives and we are broadcasting and bringing people into a kingdom work. And so when we go into the prayer closet, we don't feel as Americans that we're accomplishing anything. I mean, who are we winning over to the product when we're doing this? Because it's an unseen, invisible working. Okay, now when I get to the atomic bomb, sorry to bring that up, I'm giving spoilers all over the place, we're going to be dealing with nuclear fission and nuclear fusion. I know, again, these are not things I know anything about, right? If you asked me to describe nuclear fission, I would just stare back at you and say, you actually expected me to have an answer to that? It was, I don't know anything about those things, right? I just know it exists. I've never studied it at any level. However, this plus this equals boom, how do you explain nuclear fission? You don't need to understand how prayer works. You just, God just says, you need a little of this. Here, here's some nuclear fission. <laughs> here's some nuclear fusion. And when you do these things, the world will be changed. So preaching in an empty building, nuclear fission. Praying alone in a dark closet, nuclear fusion. This doesn't make sense. You can't see it. Could you imagine walking into a laboratory back then and going, how is this going to impact anyone? You know, and someone's like, you know, you, you, when you walk into a lab, you always hear, doo, 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 you know, like these bubbling things and everything. That's the sound of a lab. It's like, how's that going to stop the Nazis? How is that going to stop the Japanese? 
can you explain this to me? Not really, unless you want to sit down for a couple years and I can give you an, an education on this. I mean, this is complex stuff. God is basically holding the complexity himself. He says, look, I understand these things. You don't need to understand how all this works. For instance, if you ever had it, it's like, so when I pray, does God immediately begin to do something? Like when I move this way in prayer, does it move his right hand? You know, and then I do this and it moves his left hand. How does this all work? We don't know. God actually doesn't give us the understanding of that. For instance, we see Daniel praying and all we get is this hint of this spiritual warfare where the answer is coming, but there seems to be a resistance. And then Michael the archangel is going to come and bust it loose, and all of us are like, tell me more. He doesn't tell us more. We just know that our battle is not against flesh and blood. And we know that when we pray, it is impacting a different stratosphere. We understand that what we are doing matters even though we can't see it. So... Welcome to the Manhattan Project, Christian style. So Jesus Christ is going to say in Matthew 6, 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You do this invisible activity, and it will change things in the natural realm. Hmm. Matthew 14, 23, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. The most powerful military instrument that's ever existed on earth is called the body of Christ. There it is right there, going off to uh, the mountain alone. The body of Christ is alone? How, how is that going to change the world? Jesus, how do, you, how do you expect to do anything? I thought you came here to accomplish something. He is. Isn't that interesting that this invisible working, no one can see what Jesus is doing, and yet it's part of the preparation. It's part of what we could call the Manhattan Project. What is being done in secret is going to change the earth. Kaboom. However, we can't see it. The things that we are doing that no one sees have great impact. We need to remember that as the body of Christ. If there was ever a time for that to come back to our memory, this would be the hour. Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, this is just a piece of a much broader uh, statement, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And if for this sake, they're not visible, they're not practical where you hold it, hold the hilt of it and swing it, they're different. See, they're not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You see, I could pick up a sword right now, but I couldn't pull down the stronghold of lust with it. I could pick up a spear and throw it at the spirit of fear, and it would not do anything to it. You see, the spirit of fear is invisible, and I need to use a different sort of weaponry to take it down. And so God, in Scripture, is going to acquaint us with that. He is going to say, you can't see it, but there's another realm. And to deal in that other realm is the most important thing to do. Because this realm that you see is being puppeteered and impacted by that other realm. So if you just work in this realm, you actually will not solve the real problem. And that's why you'll hear me say, you cannot change the world through legislation. You cannot change this country by just getting the right president in place. Now, I'm not against that, by the way. I'm all for having a good president. 
However, the way to truly change this country is to hit it spiritually. But to see it set free spiritually, we need to deal with spiritual powers that are controlling this country. How am I supposed to do that? I can't even see them. So again, we go to scripture and God is going to train our hands for war. And he's going to say, okay, you have to trust me right now. There are things that you can't see, but I can. So if you let me direct you, and you heed me and trust me, you believe my word and what I say, and you do exactly as I ask of you, you will see impact in this natural realm. Because when you pray that prayer, it will in fact do damage in the spiritual realm, even though you can't see it. But you will see the impact settle into the natural realm. What an interesting battle we fight. And many of us struggle because the satisfaction levels are different than when you swing a sword and chop off a guy's arm. It's like, ha-ha, I've accomplished something. You can't fight back now. That was your sword arm. And he goes, but I fight left-handed. You know, like, oh, no. If you're dealing with natural weaponry, you want to see natural results. That's just our expectation. And many of us as humans are just wanting to see the natural. If I just prayed a prayer, I need to see the response right now. How come I'm not seeing it? And as a result, we oftentimes miscarriage in our battle preparations. The Manhattan Project is going to take years. It is going to cost the nations dearly. The allies are going to pay dearly for this research, for this investment. And they can't see a thing the whole time. Could you imagine how hard that would be to know that you're taking your valuable resource that you could be spending elsewhere in physical battle, and you're going to invest it into this unseen battle. Whew, that's a hard one. The science of spiritual war. This labor of faith is hard. There will be times when it will appear a waste of time. The devil, I guarantee you, I can give you the quotations ahead of time. What exactly do you think you're accomplishing? Do you see any difference in the natural realm? So you've been praying for how long, Eric? Uh-huh, and what have you seen happen? See, there will be times when it seems that nothing is happening. There will be moments when it seems, when it seems, like things are going in reverse. Now, that's an extra challenge. You start praying aggressively on something and it gets worse. Actually, that's very common. And it's a good test of faith. Remember Jesus? This sickness will not end in death. And Lazarus, Mary, Martha are like, we believe. And then Lazarus... <laughs> What is, his health doesn't get better. His health gets worse. Things are going to go in reverse before that resurrection comes. And so as a result, faith is required in this battle. But the end of persistent praying, look at, I, I have a few things that could have been edited a little better today. But the end of persistent praying is something grand and powerful. It is. It's epic. In the thick of the war, so we're in June of 1942. I'm sort of slogging through 1942. The Manhattan Project is going to launch in December, but you're going to see in what's going to take place in June why it's going to launch in December. In other words, this is the foundation of it. This is the thick of the war. And by the way, in June of 1942, I know we just had the Battle of Midway and we're all celebra celebrating as Americans. It's the turn of the war. We don't know it's the turn of the war. Okay, the fun thing about history is you can step back and say, well, that was the turn of the war. 
However, the Japanese still are controlling the entire Pacific. The fact that the, the Americans won their first battle in the Pacific isn't necessarily showcasing to them the fact that they have won the war, right? They don't see that yet. It is still multiple years from being done. Great Britain, on the other hand, is flailing right now. They are losing some key battles. And Winston Churchill is once again under the gun come around June of 1942, and his nation is seriously considering kicking him out again. This poor guy, I mean, he go, if you don't win your battles and if you have any negative you know, reversals, I mean, you're, you're in a parliamentary government and they will vote you out. I mean, that's how Neville Chamberlain went, adios, uh, at the, in, back in 1940. And so as a result, his whole job description is precarious. But he's in critical conversation right now with Franklin Roosevelt. They have a bond. And it, if, you know, from the outside looking in, it, knowing what I know, of course I have the journals and the writings of Winston Churchill, so I know a lot more than anyone would have known back then. But it's like, you don't want to mess with this. The two powers, they are close friends, and they're of one mind of how they can win this thing. But they have a long-range program. They have a plan to win this. Give them time, guys. Give them time. And so here we are in the thick of the war, but there is no real hope of breakthrough right now. The Nazis still control all of Europe. If you were to look at it on a map, except for Switzerland right in the middle and Spain on the end, they control the whole thing. Okay, it's just, it's owned and operated by the Germans, except for Great Britain over there, right? And so this isn't looking pretty. The Pacific is owned and operated by the Japanese right now. So if we were to just stop and freeze frame right now and I were to say, how are you guys feeling? You wouldn't be feeling very good. Okay, if you're an American citizen, you're a British citizen, you have certain things you can point at and say, well, there's hope. I'm glad America's now in the battle and that, oh, praise God for that. And I'm glad we won midway. But that doesn't mean we took territory. That means we just defended our own. And so as a result, they're still back on their haunches at this exact point. How do you possibly move forward in such a global landscape to try and stop this evil power? Because it is evil and it is strong. So I'm just going to say welcome to the church in 2020. This is exactly how we feel you know, in, in history, it could, you know, someone could look at the history books and say, yeah, COVID-19, that's when the enemy overplayed his hand and the, and the church won at Midway. And it's like, that was the turning point of everything. Yeah, but we can't see that right now. In other words, this could be changing everything because you see the powers of darkness sort of laying out their aces. You see them doing it right now. It's like, you can't beat this. And they're all laying their cards down and we're like, so that's what you've been holding in your hand the whole time. You see... We actually know what the enemy's up to right now. The question is, are, do we have the soul fortitude to rise up in courage and confidence knowing that our God is greater? And that's the key test of where the allies are at at this exact juncture as well. So in the, I'm going to give you a term from the allies dictionary in 1942. It's called tube alloys. It's not a term we use uh, anymore. However, that was their code name. And so when they would, just in case someone was listening on any correspondence, catching any of their telegrams, they had a term, and it was called tube alloys. This is a weapon so powerful that it single-handedly can win the war. Whatever this is, tube alloys. And I'm going to give you the Axes Dictionary in 1942. Heavy water. A weapon so powerful that it single-handedly can win the war. 
you have two sides to this battle and both of them are clamoring and fighting within their own countries to figure out a way to develop two alloys and heavy water before the other party does. Because whoever develops these first wins. I mean, we could summarize all of World War II right there. But the Germans have the advantage because I think it was like 1937, I'm guessing at the, at the date, but I think it's around 1937, German scientists are going to discover nuclear fission. Uh-oh. Oh, no. They already have the advantage. But remember what I told you? You need nuclear fission plus nuclear fusion to be able to create this kaboom. And so the Germans have the advantage. Just imagine being the allies in this situation. You're like, we need to sort of get to work. But if you are going to spend the amount of money that it takes to develop this sort of technology, you have to draw from other areas. And if you draw from other areas, you could lose the war that way too. This is a tension within the battle, which is tremendous. And by the way, I totally get it. Okay, let's stop and just look at the life of Eric Ludi real quick. Eric has weights on his shoulders, and they're heavy weights. And the, you know, the enemy is moving, and I need to be sharp, and I need to be sound. I need to study the Word of God. I need to spend time with my wife and my kids, and I need to you know, keep connection and correspondence and communication open with my staff. And you know, we need to have training, and there's time needed for this. And then there's this Manhattan Project over here. There's this silent, invisible work that Eric needs to do, but if I do that, I don't have time for this, and how can I put enough time in that and not draw from this? Same tension. We all have it. The invisible battle needs time, it needs resource, and it needs investment. It's costly. That goes with the territory, guys. You want to win the battle? It's going to cost. So I'm going to just give you the name that we understand it as, and that's the atomic bomb, a weapon so powerful that it single-handedly can win the war. This is nuclear technology. This is something that is very dark. I'm not a big fan of it. You know, if you want to look at it just in the landscape of history, it's not like I'm going to go, yeah, the atomic bomb. All I'm going to say is it parallels something. And if we can catch the vision of what it parallels, we recognize we need a Manhattan Project. We have been given the grace to take down this spiritual layer in and through the strength and the power of Jesus Christ. So the science of spiritual war, uh-oh, I crossed out spiritual and put nuclear. So the science of nuclear war, it's interesting because they're very similar. They're both invisible technologies. They're both invisible powers. You can't see nuclear power. You see the impact of it. Isn't that just interesting? So nuclear fission plus nuclear fusion equals kaboom. That's my scientific analysis for you. So some of you are saying, I thought you said you didn't understand all this stuff. Well, you know, I'm surprising you right there. Look, at, look how smart I am. So I'm going to say it this way. Mysterious unseen power plus mysterious unseen power equals very real physical practical change of history. So what I'm describing for you, you could look at as, yes, the atomic bomb, atomic energy. You could look at it that way, or you could understand what I'm trying to communicate, which is you want to see the world transformed? 
It's mysterious unseen movements over here inside the hearts and minds of Christians. It's them obeying and believing and praying all unseen. Kaboom! And you will see the world altered. So June 1942, Winston Churchill is going to weigh in on this history. Another matter lay heavy on my mind. It was the question of tube alloys, which was our code word for what afterwards became the atomic bomb. Our research and, experience had, and experiments had now reached a point where definite agreements must be made with the United States, and it was felt this could only be achieved by personal discussions between me and the president. The subject of tube alloys was one of the most complex, and as it proved overwhelmingly the most important. Our talk took place after luncheon on June 20th, 1942, in a tiny little room which juts out on, juts out on the ground floor. The room was dark and shaded from the sun. Isn't it funny that uh, Winston Churchill will add little uh, bits like that? The room was dark and shaded from the sun. You'll also notice in his, in his memoirs of this is he's extremely sensitive to the heat of, of America when he's over there. And Roosevelt and, uh, is totally fine being out in the baking sun. And Churchill will just melt. And so it's funny how he just adds in, the room was dark and shaded from the sun. It's like, what does that have to do with anything? Uh, Mr. Roosevelt was ensconced at a desk almost as big as the apartment. Harry, Harry Hopkins, his right-hand man, sat or stood in the background. I told the president in general terms of the great progress we had made and that our scientists were now definitely convinced that results might be reached before the end of the present war. He said his people were getting along too, but no one could tell whether anything practical would emerge till a full-scale experiment had been made. We both felt painfully the dangers of doing nothing. Now, I lifted that quote out because, yeah, I think if we were to say it, I think we all feel painfully the dangers of doing nothing right now. We have to be praying. We have to be doing what God has assigned us to do. However, to do it is a little tricky because we need to gather, we need to organize. If we're going to make a military movement or a Manhattan Project, we have to be organized for this. We knew that what efforts the Germans were making to procure supplies of heavy water. Uh-oh, guys, see, you know the Axis Dictionary. A sinister term, eerie, unnatural, which began to creep into our secret papers. What if the enemy should get an atomic bomb before we did? How, however skeptical one might feel about the assertions of scientists, much disputed amongst themselves and expressed in jargon incomprehensible to laymen, we could not run the mortal risk of being outstripped in this awful sphere. I strongly urged that we should at once pool all our information, work together on equal terms, and share the results, if any, equally between us. This is an interesting statement because nations have their knowledge base, and this is part of their capital, part of their strength. And the British scientists have their learning, the American scientists have their learning, but if we're going to overcome this evil, maybe we should share what we know. And it's an interesting thing because we could pray individually, but there's also something powerful about two or three being gathered together in his name and making our petitions known. Isn't that interesting? There's an alone dimension and then there's a gathering into a Manhattan Project dimension that we see in Scripture. The question then arose as to where the research plant was to be set up. We were already aware of the enormous expense that must be incurred with all the consequent grave diversion of resources and brain power from other forms of war effort. Do you see that? Are you aware 
that to actually invest yourself into this spiritual battle is going to actually, it's going to be an enormous expense and with consequent grave diversion of resource and brain power from other forms of war effort. It's going to actually mean an investment and it will be costly. It was a hard decision to spend several hundred million pounds sterling, not so much of money as of competing forms of precious war energy, upon a project the success of which no scientist on either side of the Atlantic could guarantee. So if a scientist were to poke and prod at what I'm talking about right now and try and measure it in a test tube, they'd like, oh, we can't guarantee that that's going to have any impact. Well, that's because you're not a believer. <laughs> You see, as a believer, I believe that the true scientist, capital S scientist, Jesus Christ, has already given me this, the, 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 the answer. The laboratory answer is already gained. And all I need to do is mix a little of this with a little of this and kaboom. I don't need to understand how it all works. The scientist is like, I don't get this. I don't understand how that would work. Eric, if you take your precious time and stick it over here in a prayer closet, I, I don't think that that's going to be the wisest for Ellerslie. I mean, you, you're going to have to, you're on the front lines, you have to stand, you have to be sharp, you have to be present, you have to be presidential. You, you can't hide in a closet, you can't go to a mountain apart alone. You can't do that. See, a scientist is not going to understand this the same way as a Christian does. Because we don't look at ourselves as the scientists, we look at God as the one. And we trust his answer, his conclusions. So no scientists on either side of the Atlantic could agree. Nevertheless, if the Americans had not been willing to undertake the venture, we should certainly have gone forward on our own power. And I've had that same thought. Okay, if no one in the church is willing to gather with me and say, yes, Eric, this is important, I'm still going to do it. That's the same way Great Britain is. We're going to do this even if America doesn't see it as a value point. I was, however, very glad when Mr. Roosevelt said he thought the United States would have to do it. And we therefore took this decision jointly and settled a basis of agreement. Oh, this is good. So the science of spiritual slash nuclear war. Nuclear fission plus nuclear fusion equals kaboom. Okay, I've already taught you that. You've learned a great scientific lesson today. You'll go out, be smarter. Maybe, you know, today when you're driving through the Starbucks drive-through, maybe wear a mask if you're in Larimer County. Uh, but you could maybe say that. Did you know that uh, nuclear fission plus nuclear fission uh, fusion equals kaboom? And they'd be like, wow. You see, you have some knowledge now. I also added mysterious unseen power plus mysterious unseen power equals very real physical practical change of history. Now I'd like to make it more practical for us. Spiritual burden to pray plus persistent dogged authoritative. Authoritative looks like it's spelled weird. Uh, I have a lot of issues in this keynote. Persistent, dogged, authoritative, spirit-directed praying in the name of Jesus Christ plus immovable faith equals the renovation of nations. You want to change history. You want to change nations. We have access to spiritual technology, spiritual science that will accomplish it. The question is, who's willing to join the Manhattan Project to see this war turned in the direction of the kingdom of heaven, in the direction of light, in the direction of truth? Isn't that exciting? I get so stirred up by all this. 
So the eagerness to do it together, but the willingness to go it alone. Each of us needs to make the decision to be willing to go to the mountain apart alone. We also have an eagerness to do this together. And God desires both and. He wants us to be cultivating our prayer life individually. And I think he desires to bring us together to share what we all know. We all have a spiritual gift to bring to the table. We all have discernment. We all have perspective. And when we work together, the spirit of God can play us like an instrument. Let's allow that to begin to happen. Father, we need you to empower us for this battle. Without you, we cannot do this. We are dealing in invisible things, things that you specialize in and we don't. But Lord, by faith, we make ourselves available to you and say, build your tubaloi in and through the church today. Build the strength of the kingdom of heaven, the, the tool, the weapon that you need to use to silence the enemy voice. Build it through us, Lord Jesus, in and through faith, in and through obedience, in and through prayer. Here we are, Lord. Use us. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.